folks, Dr. Krawcheck here for an episode of Just Ask. I'm glad you're with us, and we got some interesting things to talk about tonight. Diving right into our question, and it's going to be one question tonight only because uh, it's going to take so much time to talk about it. I figured the one question is all we're going to have time for, so let me remind you, if you have a question for me, uh, you can submit that question to bcroftchick at gmail.com that's b-c-r-o-f as in frank c-h-i-c-k at gmail.com or you can always leave a text or a voice message for that matter 352-476-5968 submit your questions to me and I will air them as soon as I can and uh, we'll be able to uh, see what we can do with your questions and see if we can give you some advice or if you have a comment or a criticism, you're welcome to submit that too. I mean, I read it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to read it. So take your chances with that, I guess. But tonight's question was a simple one. It, it just said, what kind of things make you mad? I don't know who really wants to know what makes me mad. Um because I think we're all different and different things make different people mad. But I can tell you, there are definitely things uh, that make me mad that may not make somebody else upset. Uh, so we'll talk about those right now. The And this is in no particular order, by the way. It doesn't really matter that this isn't my, like, my pet peeve or the first thing that makes me the most mad. But um, especially being in Florida, not so much here, here in Michigan, um, it does happen, but not nearly as much as it does in Florida with all the older drivers. And when I say older drivers, I'm 58, so I don't consider myself an older driver. Uh, to me, older driver in Florida is somebody, uh, you know, like 75, 80, 85. Uh, and not that, you know, we blame the old people a lot, but sometimes it's not the older people. It's the middle-aged people that do it too. But uh, they'll pull out in front of you, like... And they wait. They wait until your car is getting really, really close. And they'll pull out in front of you, make you put your brakes on. And then when you look in your rearview mirror, there is no freaking buddy behind you. And you think to yourself, really? You couldn't wait till I went by. There is nobody behind me. Nobody. Not a single car that I can even see in my rear view. And you insist on pulling out in front of me right now. Drives me crazy. And then what makes it worse... They don't go 100 yards up the road and they're turning off onto a side road or into a driveway or into another, you know, mall or something like that. It drives me crazy. So yes, that ticks me off. It ticks me off because I, you know, I, I want to say I don't like stupid people, but that, you know, that sounds kind of cruel. But on the other hand, what kind of person does that? Who pulls out in front of somebody when there's nobody behind you? It's like, what's going through your mind? Thinking, I'm going to wait till he gets really close. I'm going to pull out in front of him. Um, instead of just waiting until he goes by another three seconds. And then there's nobody. Nobody on that road. I don't understand what's going through their brain when they feel like they have to pull out in front of me other than they know 
that is going to tick me off and, and road rage like you just want to you know you, you wish you can smash into them and push them off the side of the road uh, of course you can't but i mean i guess you could but not recommended do not i would recommend doing that but that's the one of the things that irritate me or make me mad Another thing that makes me mad, actually, is, and my son does this more than anybody else in my life, but other people do it too, is when people text you, and you text them right back. I mean, you're typing instantly, and they don't reply. Okay, what's going on here? What are you, what are you doing that you text me a question, and then suddenly it's not important you put your phone down you take a bath I mean you're taking a poop you're uh, what 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 are you doing what why do you text me a question I answer you right back and there's no reply and it'll be hours it'll be hours you can keep on texting you can call goes to voicemail it's like what is going on right now that you would do that ticks me off like, if you're going to start a communication with somebody, finish it. And that's, that's another thing, too. Younger people today, they want to text everything. I mean, literally, you can have conversations for hours. That's not what I think texting was meant to be. Texting was meant to be, you know, very quick. Hey, I'm on my way, or I'm almost there, or hey, what are you doing? Give me a call. It's It's like a... It's like a, a method of pre-communication before you really communicate. Like before you call somebody up, you text them to make sure, hey, you're going to be around? Hey, what you doing? You know, n- not today. Not in today's society. Uh, I mean, look, kids are using this to break up with each other, to go out with each other, uh, to plan parties. I mean, it is it is the number one way of communicating today. And, and we... I think we as a society have lost our ability to communicate verbally with with people and everything everything is based on the importance and value of texting and I, I just don't understand I mean I understand I see the convenience of it I really do but when you have to when you're gonna text multiple multiple responses over and over and over again I just I don't understand that uh, especially when we're driving, and I'm not going to say I never text and drive because I do. Uh, I, I'm very picky on where I do it and when I do it. Shouldn't do it at all, I know, but I am not going to sit here and lie and say I don't. But I know when I was in my car accident uh, several months ago, I know I was T-boned by a woman who was on her phone. I know it. There was just no reason why she didn't stop through this four-way stop sign, except for the fact that she was texting and she wasn't paying attention. Because the four-way, the four-way stop that I got hit at was at, if you're from around here in Michigan, it was at Michigan Ave and State, State Street in Coldwater. And that four-way stop, stop area uh, is out in an open field, so you can see cars visibly in all four quadrants of that road. You see the cars way ahead of time, you know the stop sign's coming, and as a matter of fact, the way she was traveling, it had the little bumps letting them know that a stop sign was coming. And she completely ignored that and still plowed into me. 
So that's somebody that obviously was texting. She was not paying attention to what she was doing uh, because there was visual seeing the stop sign and being able to see cars at the stop sign. And then was the auditory, hearing those ripples as your your car runs over them, like two or three sets of them. So she was just so concentrating on, on, on texting somebody that she never never looked up and saw me until she hit me. And uh, that was that was tragic, man, I'm telling you. Um, thank goodness I was in my truck. If I was in a smaller car, I could have been killed. Uh, she was traveling about 50 miles an hour when she hit me. And uh, say what you want about Dodge Rams, but I'll tell you what, that thing took a beating and came out pretty darn good and uh, spared me from any f- serious physical injury and I was hit T-boned on, on driver's side. So uh, those Dodge Rams are pretty darn tough. I don't care what Ford or GM says or Chevy or anybody else. You gotta love that Ram. So another thing that kind of ticks me off. I got two more things left. That's all I got for today, for today's podcast. But another thing that really ticks me off, and believe me, I can think of a whole lot more than just two more, but... You know, I'm trying to keep, like, the major things. Um, I hate, hate when people lie to me and they think I don't, I don't, I don't know they're lying. Like, they think I'm buying it. You know, I, there's so many, I've read so many books and things on how to uh, pick up on somebody that's being deceptive. I don't know why. I've just always been fascinated with that. Uh, if I can give polygraphs, I'd love to be able to give polygraphs because uh, I just I'm just fascinated with anything that has to do with the mind and the brain, and that's why I like hypnosis so much. But um, you know, there's there's so many cues that when somebody's lying to you, and I and I just I just love catching people in lies, and I don't call them out on it because you know socially that's not going to win me any points. That's not going to you know that's not going to make things any better for me. Uh, to call somebody out, but it's just the, the fact and the satisfaction of knowing that I know that what you are telling me is a crock of crap, you know, and, and why bother? But uh, I'll give you a little insight in case you don't already know. But um, one of the many things, one of the many tells in somebody that's being deceptive is uh, when they give you the reason for whatever it is they need to lie about, they go into great detail. And they usually tell a story. It's not a quick, hey man, uh, sorry, I, I, uh, I couldn't make it. You know, I got tied up. Um, it's, oh, sorry, I couldn't make it, man. My, my wife's mother's uh, uh, uncle called and he had trouble with loading the horse in the trailer. And we had to drive over there. When we got there, the horse got free and we had to chase the horse down and you know, then it started getting dark and we, we had to look for them and we, the flashlight batteries were low. And, you know, when they go into this long song and dance about why they couldn't come, instant deception. Now, not to say sometimes things don't happen like that. I'm just saying, like, that's the, that's the, the norm is that's a sign of deception. Especially, this is important, especially when you are not even asking them for an explanation. You don't even bring it up. You don't even bring up the fact that they're late or they didn't show up or they didn't call 
or whatever, whatever they promised to do and they didn't, you don't even ask them about it. The next time you see them, you just act like everything's fine. And then they feel compelled to tell you or they have to call you up and tell you. Then it's usually a sign of deception. And uh, that just irritates me. It irritates me when people are going to lie to me because then it makes me, I take it personally and it's like, now you think I'm stupid. Not only can you lie to me, but now you think I'm stupid. And that, that offends me more than lying to me. I'm a lot of things, but stupid is simply not one of them. And uh, I'm sure you'd feel the same way. Maybe not. I don't know. Could be just me. I could be weird, I guess. I don't like being lied to. I'd rather somebody tell me the truth. I always told my kids when I was raising my children, um, whatever punishment you have in store for whatever you've done wrong, it'll, it'll always be less punishment than if I catch you lying about it. So take your medicine, take your punishment, because if you lie, and I know you're lying, or I find out you're lying, the punishment for that is going to be far more severe than the punishment for what it is that you did wrong. Always better to tell the truth. And you know, when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember any lies, because you, know, you, just, you just tell you tell the truth, you tell what you know, what you remember, and uh, you don't have to remember the lie. And they build on top of each other. So... That's my other pet peeve, the other thing that upsets me. And like I said, there's so many. I can I can fill an hour on the podcast talking about how many different things upset me. But, but we're going to mention one more, and that's going to take a few minutes probably to talk about. And it's one I have a lot of experience with um, as a coach. I, I dislike, I dislike parents, most parents. When it comes to coaching, parents will drive you crazy. If you've never coached before, don't. Because parents nowadays, much worse than it ever was. Kids are worse than they ever were. Um, can't I never coached men, male athletes? Uh, I don't know what I don't know. You know how thick their skin is. But I know the female athletes, the high school athletes, have gotten so weak mentally that, you know, if you raise your voice at all at them, they crumble. And uh, they, they get angry or they get offended. They get hurt. They cry. They go home tell their parents. Parents are calling, screaming and yelling, why are you making my daughter cry? Um, and, you know, not that coaches should make kids cry. You know, that, that, isn't the, the, uh, that, isn't the, uh, that isn't the goal. Like, oh, I'm going to make kids cry today. But... Um, say what you will, a lot of kids, most kids respond when you finally get on them. It's just like, just like raising them. And, you know, I think part of it's the way we raise our kids. We raise our kids to where nowadays parents tell kids to do stuff and it's optional. You know, kids can decide if they're going to do it or not. There's no, there's so little, there's so little, um, enforcement, uh, in the home that when the kids get to the, to the coach, they feel, well, you should treat me the same way my parents do. They tell me to do something, but they don't really mean it. I don't really have to. There's no punishment for not doing it. So why should I listen to you? You're not my parent. You know, I think that's some some of the problem. Not all the problem, but that's some of the problem that happens. Then you have parents who have no idea what coaching's like, and they constantly defend their kid, and they have no idea what's going on. They're never in the gym for practice. And yet their kids go home and tell them a story. And that suddenly becomes the gospel. 
it becomes the, the truth. And, uh, you know, they're the judge and the jury. They call up ranting and raving. They want to meet with you. Or, or God forbid, you don't play their kid in the game for as much as they think they should be played. I mean, I understand parents want, you know, they want to see their kids play. They're going to be defensive. They're going to defend their children. I get that. I do. But uh, if any parent thinks that a coach is going to spend an entire season uh, trying to put together the best team possible only to sabotage by playing favorites. Now, look, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I know it does. I know of an instance right here in one of our local schools where, you know, that happens uh, in volleyball. But at the varsity level, not usually. Not You may see that at the JV. You may see that in the middle school, you know, 8th, ninth, 8th grades, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th, whatever. You, you may see that at the lower level. But varsity coaches, uh, we're motivated to win. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some coaches at the varsity level that'll say, oh, well, we just want our girls to have a good time and teach them, you know, how to play a team sport. There are some people like that, but that is not, that is not the pulse of the varsity level. Varsity level, those coaches are, are trying to win. They want to win as many games as they possibly can. And even the school understands at the varsity level, you know, it's not about everybody plays equal anymore. And it shouldn't be. Not at the varsity level. You know, the varsity level, uh, it's, not, it's not an entitlement. You're not entitled to play because you go to this school. You know, you have to, you have to be, at least for my teams, you have to be one of the six best players in that position to keep that spot. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care how much money your family makes. I don't care how much they donate to the school or to the booster club. I don't care what your brother or your sister did two years or three years ago. I don't care whose picture's hanging up in the hallway of the school of your family and your uncle that was an all-star. I don't care. I care about playing the six best players, in volleyball at least, in a position that's going to give my team the best chance to win. And any parent that thinks that we're going to not play a kid because for what reason, for what purpose to purposely throw the game like we're purposely going to try to lose and not play our best talent really i mean who does that at the varsity level it it doesn't happen a lot i'm not saying it doesn't happen at all i'm I'm sure somewhere out there you know in a smaller school where you know the coach is a teacher or or you know trying to keep keep his or her job by making people happy that that goes on but you get, a, you get a high school coach that does not have any ties to that school, that they work independently from the school. They are in no way associated with the school for their primary source of income. They're going to come in there, and they're going to try to win with the best talent that that school can produce. And parents that want to jump up and down and scream and yell and argue and fight with the coach about their kids' playing time or this or that, they shouldn't be allowed in the gym. I don't think, matter of fact, I don't think parents in general should be allowed into a sporting event until they volunteer coach for two years in a row. Two, every parent should volunteer coach two years in a row before they can come to a, a game of any kind. They'll have a whole different view of what coaches go through and they'll have a whole different appreciation of why coaches the way they coach. If they would be required to volunteer two seasons before they can go to any sporting event. I know that sounds crazy, but I think if some parents were, were to be able to see 
what goes on in a gym on a field during a practice and they see the, the, the crap that coaches have to put up with, the careless attitudes, the I don't want to hustle, I roll your eyes when you tell them something, or you know, the things that, not, I'm not saying all athletes, not even most, just some, just some of the entitled athletes that, that don't want to work, the ones that just want to play because uh, they think they, they belong on the team. If they can see what some of the kids do, they would understand why some kids play more than others. Some kids don't play at all. And sometimes it's your kid. So, <clears throat> I can tell you a story about a little league mother I had in Florida. The boy's name was Tommy. This is a minor league team, young young team. I think we were, I think we were nine. Nine and ten year olds, or wait, no, actually, you know what? No, we were, we were major league. We were eleven and twelve year olds, and um, this boy Tommy uh, was not very athletic, um, but everybody played. Well, he was the one kid that was only going to play the minimum amount, which is one at bat and two innings, and he was one of those. He got one at bat and two innings. He he just wasn't very good player. I mean, already. Compared to other people, he was already showing his skill was not on the baseball field. But everybody plays and everybody bats one time, so he got his one at bat, and his and his position was in the outfield, in right field where you know at that level balls go everywhere. But uh, we put him out there because few fewer balls went out there. It seemed in the right field, so we stuck him out in right field where he wouldn't get hurt. Not that he would get in the way of the game at that level. Who, we don't really care who wins and loses. We want the kids to, to experience the game. Um, but he was a liability. He had such slow reflexes uh, on the infield, especially, that if a ball came at him, he had no ability to stop it. It would hit him. It would smack him in the face, and it would it would hurt him badly, or hit him in the stomach. And actually, this one boy had a heart condition and had to wear a heart pad over his heart because if a ball hit him directly in the heart, it could kill him. Yeah. And a mother wondered why he wasn't playing on the infield. You know, not to mention the fact that uh, a ball in the chest could kill your son, but he's not good enough to stop that ball. He's the one that's going to get hit in the chest. So we have him in the outfield. And even then, you worry about a, a, a ball that bounces in front of him hits him in the chest, even with that chest protector that he had to wear, heart protector. But, you know, the mom comes up to me after a game, finally says, Coach, I want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. I know what this is going to be about because I know this is Tommy's mom. And I never knew the parents' name. I never wanted to get close to knowing the parents, you know, when you have favorites. So I always called them by the kid's name, Mom. So, yeah, hey, Tommy's mom. That's what I called her because her son's name was Tommy and she was mom. So I called her Tommy's mom. Yeah, Tommy's mom, what's up? I want to talk to you about my son. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, Tommy, do me a favor, buddy. Your car's right down there. Why don't you go down there and wait down there by your car? We'll keep an eye on you. You'll be safe. I don't want to talk about the kid in front of him. The mother was prepared to, but you know, that's how narrow-minded and how tunnel vision that parents have. They just want to, they don't, they don't think about who's around, who's listening. So I sent, I did the right thing that the mother couldn't think to do and send the boy down by the car so he couldn't hear the conversation. And, and she said, I, I don't think you're being fair to my boy. 
And I said, well, I guess we disagree on that. I think I'm being very fair to your boy. He's getting to play. Well, yes, he only plays. He gets one at bat and he gets two, two turns in the outfield and he never gets play infield. I'm like, Tommy's mom, you know, your son, honestly, is just not that good to be playing in the infield, especially with his health condition. You shouldn't even want him in the infield. You know, he, he, he's just, if you look at the other kids, and you, he's just not at the same level of play. It's not, this is not his game. I said, honestly, this, if, okay, so let's, let's, just, let's just throw it out there. This is not your boy's strong point. He needs a, if, if you want him to start at something, he needs to find another sport. He's already 11, and it's clear he's not going to be a starting baseball player anytime soon unless he has an immense amount of practice outside of the season. And, but in Florida, these kids play year-round. So I don't know when he's going to catch up. Could he catch up? Yeah, maybe, sure. I don't, I don't know what his maximum level of performance is going to be. He might, he might get better. He could get better. But since all kids are playing year-round, the, the kids that love baseball, they're playing pra- practically year-round in Florida. I don't know when he's going to catch up. It'd be easier for him to find another sport. Or try, you know, try running. You know, maybe he's a great runner. Try basketball. I wouldn't recommend football. You know, but this is not his sport. If, if you're going to set him out and force him to play this sport, he needs to learn sooner or later he, where, he, where he fits. And it's only going to get worse as he gets older. I'm like, Tommy's mom, let me ask you a question. Last year, I wasn't your boy's coach. Who was his coach? Blah, blah, blah was his coach. Okay. And how much did he play? Well, he didn't play much, just like you're doing. And how about before that, the other coach he might have had? Yeah, same thing. He never got to play much. I'm like, well, do you see a pattern here? So you think all three of us are ganging up on your son? Or do maybe that all three of us see something that you don't, that you don't want to see? We see your boy is not a talented baseball player. Sorry. Not sorry. Get over it. Find another sport or stop complaining about your kid because he can't play baseball. Find something else for him to do. Or coach the team play him all the time and then have 11 angry parents mad at you because their kids aren't playing because your boy's in their spot. So that really ticks me off. That really ticks me off. Parents should not be allowed on a field at a game until they coach for as a volunteer. Shouldn't even get paid for it because they're not going to do anything besides stand there and watch the coach coach and maybe chase balls. They're not going to do anything to to actually help the game because they don't know the game. So they shouldn't get paid. It should be a two-year volunteer deal. I'm not saying they have to come to every single practice because they work, but they should be required to make so many practices a week for two years and, and go to the games and sit on the bench, sit on the sidelines quietly, not able to speak. Most coaches wouldn't want the parents on the sidelines. I probably wouldn't want them either. Probably in the game, maybe for the games we wouldn't do that. But definitely in the practices, they should be there. I always had open practices for my parents. Tell my parents, anytime you want to come to practice, I encourage you, please come. Please come. Please come and see what we put up with. It's not always fun. So, that's what I got. 
for this podcast this week, folks. These are some of the things that ticked me off. We went almost 30 minutes, which is fine. Next week, we'll talk about something different. I'm hoping to get some other questions. I'll possibly have a guest in here with me so we can banter back and forth about some of these issues. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Once again, bcroftchick at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message or a text at 352-476-5968. Until then, peace out.